Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. President Trump is wrong. I had no right to overturn the election. The presidency belongs to the American people and the American people alone. And frankly, there is no idea more un-American than the notion that any one person could choose the American president. Under the Constitution, I had no right to change the outcome of our election. And Kamala Harris will have no right to overturn the election when we beat them in 2024. Well, Jeff Fox, you you didn't include the applause at the end there, which I thought was a pretty clever turn for Pence to try and convert Republican self-immolation into a moment of triumph by dumping on the Democrats at the end. Hey, I can't talk to my normal hackeroos about this because they're AWOL, but I brought in the A-team here. John Heilman, good to see you, brother. Good to see you too, man. Where are those other dudes, like those hackeroos? Like, where would they... AWOL is not really a very good or precise explanation for their I think they're state. knocking over a bank. I'm not sure. Yeah, but right. uh, uh, And Amanda Carpenter is with us today, the great Amanda Carpenter from the, from the Bulwark, former aide to Senator Ted Cruz, and now a thorn in the side of, uh, of the Trump world and, um, and an incisive conservative commentator. Uh, so, Amanda, good to see you. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So, wh- what do we think about this Pence thing? I mean, in a sense, he, you know, he, ha- he is where he is, uh, and so he might as well play his hand out. And the Federalist Society was probably a good place to do it. But, like, uh, is, he, is he being realistic here when he thinks that he can, by playing this out, he will end up as a viable candidate for president in 2024? The first thing you have to ask is, why is he saying this now? This is different from what he was saying a year ago when he started making speeches and testing the waters in South Carolina and other places because he does want to run for president again. He has clearly a group. Yes, um, he has a number of people around him, donors sort of in waiting to see if he can build um any any kind of grassroots support and following yeah. but they're being they're what, pensive anyway go ahead yeah oh, sorry oh god it's ah, starting already we're only, <laughs> we're only like three minutes in and already what's the, the point of having a podcast if you can't put your lousy puns anyway go ahead but his first attempt at framing this a year ago was essentially to say that january 6 was a dark day just a day that happened and he would kind of look somberly at the audience and say I, I did my duty. And me and Donald Trump will just never see eye to eye on that. Now, a year later, he's saying Donald Trump is wrong. And essentially what he was asking him to do is un-American. I mean, that's pretty strong for Pence. And I think the reason for it is because of the January 6th committee. I do not think Pence would have pivoted like this without the continued pressure an investigation that is coming because his aides are cooperating with the investigation. Why was Mark Short on the Sunday shows? This his former week? chief of staff, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because now I think they see that the story is going to come out. Um, they are going to tell their version of events, and they think they have a chance of looking good at the end of the tunnel. I don't know. I don't think anybody's going to buy it. I think it's funny uh, that he said when we beat 
Kamala Harris next election. I'm kind of like, who is we? Because Trump ain't ever having you back. Yeah, yeah. Heilman, I think Amanda's got a pretty good theory here, but isn't part of why he spoke out as he did because Trump increasingly is shitting all over him? Well, you know, uh, uh, Pence is not uh, unfamiliar with Trump shitting all over him. He had four years of that, so he should be fairly. <laughs> it's a accustomed. way of life for Republicans. Well, and for and for his vice president, who you know uh, was often not shat on quite the way that Trump's shitting on him now. You know, um, I, I think there's uh, there's some to that, something to that, David. Although I think if Pence thought it was in his political interest to continue to be shat on, he probably would allow that to continue. I think you know, Amanda. I think he's right about this. First of all, and and I, I think Amanda will back me up on this. You know, one of the more extraordinary things in our recent political history is that there was a, that Mike Pence has always thought he was presidential timber. He's been mm-hmm. thinking about running for president since he was in the House, and you know, when he came back, people have talked about him. I've always found it a little bit, a little bit mystifying because. And I say this not in a, in a in a in a partisan way. Just, just didn't, it never struck me as a political athlete who would be able to compete um, with some of even before Trump came on the scene. The notion that Pence was someone who he always seemed very wooden to me, and 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 the the performance isn't, isn't really there. And I obviously he was taking out this very far right social well, in conservative. Fact, Trump rescued him in. Uh- Yes, in, in 2016, because he he may well have lost re-election in right. Indiana. He, yes, he, 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 yes, exactly right. As a state, as you will recall, once upon a time, Barack Obama won. <laughs> yeah, only Democrat to win for president, by the way, since 1964. But that uh, David's not saying that David's not saying that because it reflects well on him. God knows. <laughs> um, but look, I mean, my neighboring state I mean, of Indiana, saying, which, which I know, which I know well on the drives from my my luxury apartment in Chicago to my luxury uh, home in Michigan. Oh come on, um, you have to go through Indiana. I know a lot about Gary. Says uh, says uh, David Axrod. I went to school in Indiana. Did you really? IU? Ball State. Ball State. Actually, oh, Ball I State. lived in Mike Pence's uh, district, and he was wow. the first elected Republican I ever met. Incredible! Wow. So our college Republican meetings. Amanda's got deep, deep uh, Pence yeah, ties. Real but insight. Look, there's no doubt he thinks he's there. There's no. He's always thought he was. He's always thought he was. He was cut out for the presidency. I think he still thinks that he is. I think he's misreading the Republican Party in a very dramatic way. And and I don't I don't think it's plausible. Uh, someone the other day mentioned you know that Mike Flynn wants to run potentially, and I was I was asked somewhere publicly whether I thought who I thought was a likely Republican nominee, and I thought I think Mike Flynn's a likely nominee of this Republican Party than I do uh, Mike Pence. But I do also think there's a little bit of just self preservation here, David, which is you know Donald Trump keeps saying over and over again. I mean Trump, I mean Pence has to defend himself on some level, right? Which is that. If, if Trump's going to go out and convince 30 or 40 million Republicans that the election was stolen and continue to hammer the message, not just to shit on Pence personally, but to hammer the message somehow that Pence could have done, quote, the right thing, he's got to defend himself. I will say this, though. The other thing that just of note is all the reporting that suggests that Pence, you know, far from 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 taking a principled stand throughout the whole period leading up to January 6th and telling Trump throughout there is no way I can do this. There is no role for me in the Constitution here. That he was kind of casting around looking for some plausible way that he could That's do right. what Trump wanted. Yeah. He, yeah, he but- only grew a spine when there was no other alternative when there was yeah. no other plausible path now again i'm glad he grew a spine i'm glad he did what he did yeah i gotta give a little credit here well he if did get the right thing if I, you I, have I, to I, be if you have to be persuaded by dan quayle that the noted constitutional scholar dan quayle that 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 the constitution that was odd I, this, a fellow um, hoosier fellow hoosier <laughs> amanda what were you saying i think we do have to recognize yes mike pence did the right thing in the end when all alternatives were exhausted but Look at how much he was there for the big election lies all the way, you know, the day after the election through December up until January 6th. He was campaigning in Georgia for Kelly Loeffler and um, 
David Perdue, remember Kelly Loffer has said, I will object. He was there for all of that. You think about all the insanity that was going on in the White House about draft orders of seizing voting machines and pressuring Department of Justice. You're telling me he didn't know any of that was going on and he just sat there tight lipped and kept telling people it's the honor of my life to serve President Trump. So, you know, I, I don't think that he is not the, a lot of love here for the, for you know, Pence. we shouldn't laud him for doing the right thing because he enabled all of it until the end. But let me make an argument for why he thinks and people around him think that he can be president because everybody from the people on the DeSantis wish casting train on down think the path forward for Trump is to nominate somebody that has MAGA credibility, but can somehow do Trumpism in a more respectable way. Right. Mike Pence says, you know what? That is me. I am the person that stood shoulder to shoulder, you know, Trump's broad shoulders with Trump <laughs> all through those four years. But I had a line. I had a line between right and wrong, and I'm not going to embarrass Republicans in the media like Trump did. I am the better version. Like, that's what they're all trying to be. Ron DeSantis says, I can be the better version of Trump this way. Look at me. I'm the governor of Florida. Mike Pence says, I can do it this way. That's what they're telling themselves. And all the people you know, the the people who went along with Trumpism in that administration told themselves they could do good if they, as long as there were people like Mike Pence around, like they left that place and said, you know what? We tried to keep the guardrails on. There are, there is a well of people who believe that Mike Pence was the good part of the Trump administration. Even if Trump doesn't run, assuming that he's living and breathing and communicating, yes. he is a big orange steaming vengeance yes, machine. Yes. And look, so the idea uh, that you could separate yourself from him. <laughs> I, I'm not saying it's believable. I'm telling you what they tell themselves. And also the notion of Pence is having all this kind of MAGA credibility. It's like, I mean, let's not forget it was the, the ultra Nay plus ultra of the MAGA movement showed up on January 6th at the Capitol and they wanted to hang Mike Pence. So it's not like, like Mike Pence has ever been someone who's- but, uh, they meant, but they meant it in a nice way. Yeah. I mean, he's not, he's not someone that, the, that, the, that, that if you go out in the country and talk to hardcore Republicans at, at Trump rallies, they're not like, God, we love Mike Pence. You know, we see him as the, as a spiritual soulmate to our, to our God, Donald Trump. They don't, you just don't hear that. And, and I will also point out to your point, Amanda, about, about, about supporting the election lies. I mean, it was in October, just a couple months ago, that Mike Pence was trashing the media for focusing on January 6th when a bunch of insurrectionists tried to hang him and his family. And he said, it's just one day in January. That was the quote, right? The media focuses on one day in January. It's like, that's as much of a collaborationist as you can be. And, and I, I, I think you can't have it both ways here, right? It's hard to be. Listen, know. I want, I want to play some tape of, well, let, let's start with Nikki Haley. Uh, the, a couple of people were on Sunday shows, Haley, Marco Rubio. They were asked about Pence's assertion that he didn't have the authority to overturn the election, the clip you heard. Let's hear Ambassador Haley. Mike Pence is a good man. He's an honest man. I think he did what he thought was right um, on that day. But I will always say, I just, I'm not a fan of Republicans going against Republicans because the only ones that win when that happens are the Democrats and the media. And we have to keep our eyes on 2022. We've got to get the majority back in the House. We've got to get it in the Senate. We've got a lot of governor's races to win. Okay, that's Haley. Let's hear uh, from Marco Rubio. If uh, President Trump runs for re-election, I believe he would defeat Joe Biden. And I don't want Kamala Harris to have the power as vice president to overturn that election. And I don't, that's the same thing that I concluded back in January of 2021. So Donald Trump was wrong. 
Well, as I said, I just don't think a vice president has that power because if the vice right. president has that power, Donald Trump would defeat Joe Biden in four years or two years, and then Kamala Harris can decide not to overturn the election. I don't want to wind up there. Right. What happened to that man? What, ha- what, ha- what happened to Marco Rubio? Once upon a time, he was not quite that, that much of a, pr- of a human pretzel. A human yeah. pretzel and a jellyfish at the same time. He's an invertebrate pretzel. It's hard to be that. Yeah, but it does reflect. I mean, he is also a weather vane, and it's it does reflect <laughs> another, another another metaphor. It, it does reflect which way the wind is blowing, and it's gale force winds in the Republican Party. The, the, you know, the the, the silence uh, has been kind of deafening Amanda on all of this. Yeah, what strikes me about Nikki Haley's remark, I mean, uh, so you make the both of them want to run for president as well. By the way, we should note that. But, okay, Nikki Haley said quite some time ago that she would not get in the race as long as Donald Trump is running in 2024, right? Like, no one is going to oppose Trump. This gets to a a larger conversation of how people think that people, you know, Ron DeSantis is secretly positioning against Trump and taking him on. That's all nonsense. But Nikki Haley decided there that she is nothing more than a Republican tribalist, right? When you examine her remarks and said Republicans can't, it's that if your name is Donald Trump, you can't go after Republicans and she's just going to go along with whatever. And it's just so sad to me because I really looked at her a few years ago and thought she could be the first female president. Wouldn't it be great if it's Republican, blah, blah, blah. She's thrown all that away. I mean, she's, what is she auditioning to be the next RNC chairwoman who's just going to go along with whatever the party wants. I mean, this is case in point of the stupid, dumb tribalism that got the party in trouble, where you just go along with whatever, as long as as it's for Team Red. And that's what she's decided to do. Someone should introduce that woman also to Donald Trump, you know, who right now on almost daily basis attacks Mitch McConnell as an old crow. You know, don't do I don't like Republicans speaking ill of other Republicans. You know, it's like, yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, literally every day, Donald Trump attacks Republicans. He attacks Mike Pence. He attacks Mitch McConnell. He attacks everybody in the Republican Party he doesn't like daily. I just think it's kind of hilarious. OK, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. I know you know this if you're a devoted coffee drinker, but 90% of coffee from the grocery store is actually stale. You heard that right. The coffee you know and think you love needs an upgrade. And instead of rebuying the same old, same old, let Trade Coffee send you something freshly roasted that you're literally guaranteed to love. Trade sells the freshest roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. They ship free to you as often as you like, whole or ground. Whether you're a coffee nerd or just want a better daily cup, Trade's real coffee experts taste test over 400 roasts and use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and brewing method. You can't beat that. Take the coffee quiz to get started. Trade Coffee guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll replace it for free. Trade has been featured by the New York Times, Wire, GQ, and has delivered over 5 million bags of coffee. 5 million. Their subscription is no hassle. You can skip shipments, change your frequency, or cancel at any time. And for our listeners, right now, Trade Coffee is offering a total of $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com slash hacks. To get started, take their quiz at drinktrade.com slash hacks and start your journey to your perfect cup. That's drinktrade.com slash hacks for $20 off your first three bags.
Speaking of Republicans attacking Republicans, interesting RNC meeting last weekend. They're censuring Liz Cheney and uh, Adam Kinzinger for participating in the January 6th committee and victimizing good American citizens who were engaged in legitimate political discourse. That's how they describe what happened on on January 6th. Certainly no one would describe what happens in this podcast in that way, but go on. No. Let's talk about about this just from a, forget about the moral dimensions of this and, you know, all of that. But uh, I got to think if I'm a Republican and I'm, you could see, I, I didn't, I didn't cue it up, but, uh, you know, I heard Barrasso and some others on television over the weekend saying, we don't want to talk about this. We want to talk about Biden. We want to talk about inflation. We want to talk about about crime. And the problem is Trump insists that they talk about this. I mean, the RNC is his organization. The chairman of the RNC is his uh, acolyte. And they did what he wanted done. He wanted those two uh, censured. And it puts the focus right back on uh, January 6th as the Republican Party as an institution defending an insurrection. And that can't be where Republicans want to be, but they have to be because he insists. Although it's interesting to see the way just in the last couple of days, right, we've had, uh, you know, Lindsey Graham, um, Mitt Romney. Romney's great quote here. This was, I believe, yesterday. This is uh, where he said, it could not have been a more inappropriate message speaking here of the G- of the Republican National Committee that his uh, blood relative is the chair of. He yeah, says, I, don't know that I don't know that they share Thanksgiving and then, anymore. And, and then he says, anything that my party does that comes across as being stupid is not going to help us, which I mean, <laughs> talk about a syllogism for our time. I mean, it's kind of self-evidently true, but it, but it, but there has been a little bit, it's been interesting to see it, right? On the heels of Pence, you now have, at least among some Republican senators who are kind of making your point, David, which is sort of like you pointed to Barrasso. It's, it's like, guys, the Senate Republicans killed the idea of a genuine bipartisan January 6th committee commission. Why? Because McConnell specifically was like, have the House deal with this. We don't want to talk about this. Let's try to get this behind us as fast as possible because talking about January 6th is not in our political interest. But as you point out, Trump insists that we talk about January 6th, whether you have to swear allegiance to the big lie to get his endorsement. And he puts this pressure on. If there was no Donald Trump, there's no world in which the censure would have ever happened. There's no world in which the legitimate political discourse thing would have happened. And you could see in the way that everyone's reacted to it, including well, this ludicrous. There's no, there's no world in which an insurrection would have Well, happened. that's that's true. But I, I mean, a world in which Donald Trump was not still the most powerful person in the I Republican see, Party. Yeah. I mean, if he had actually gone into retirement, right, people would be moving on from this as fast as possible. And I do think it, it puts you. It illustrates the bind they're in in a pretty profound way because you know the 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 the, the needs to capitulate to Trump and his manias and his obsessions and his and his power uh, puts the party uh, in a direct on a direct collision course with its own political best interests because every time you talk about January sixth, it's bad for Republicans. What the RNC voted for in this center resolution is the closest thing the party has had to an official platform. In many years. I mean, this is essentially it. You go against Donald Trump, you talk about January 6th, you're out, you're censured. And I think it's, you know, the part of the resolution that talked about January 6th as legitimate political discourse is extremely objectionable, of course. But the front of that was that Cheney and Kinzinger were participating in the persecution of ordinary citizens, not prosecution, 
persecution. They're talking about Trump supporters. They're trying to rationalize anybody that engaged in January 6th as being politically persecuted by Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. And so you look at that and everyone said, whoa, you're really kind of going over the line for it. But that's what the party's standing for right now. They wrote it out. They voted on it. They passed it by a voice vote. And then you see Chris Christie go on the Sunday shows. And he says, yes, of course, this was terrible, blah, blah, blah. But then he turns around and says, you know, it's kind of ridiculous that we're paying this much attention to what the hundreds of members of the RNC voted for. Excuse me? These are the people that put on the primary. This is the base of the party. They're deciding what the party speaks for and stands for. And Chris Christie wants to pretend like we shouldn't pay attention to it. I mean, this is the kind of, you know, wish casting dual reality that these elite Republicans try to, try to tell themselves. And that does not match up with what's happening on the ground among people that they talk to all the time. I don't understand why we can't see it for what it is in the issue is if Chris Christie would see it for what it is, he would have to do something about it. And they're not willing to do anything about it. I do think though it's again, I come back to the thing of the fact that you're that you're starting to see some Republicans as we get closer to the midterms are recognizing, you know, that that like, you know, in some weird way, and I, I don't mean this in any in any uh, look, all of the adherence to the big lie uh, of over the last year has been pernicious and terrible, bad for the Republican Party, bad for the country, bad for our democracy, bad, 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 bad. But it's also been kind of a little bit of a free ride for Republicans last year because there was no election, you know, apart from you know, Virginia. There's not really elections this last year. So it was kind of people were allowed to duck the question, skate around it. Sometimes if they're crazy uh, to swear fealty to Trump and say that the election was illegitimate. But they're all trying to find a way to not get Trump mad so they don't want to come out and just say Joe Biden is the official president, the legitimate president. But they also some of them don't want to come out and say the election was stolen. So they've all a lot of them have done the dance of the of the 170 veils on this. But now it's like the, the midterms are in everyone's front, in, 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 right in in, in in view, right? You everybody's staring right out the front window of the car, and they can see them coming. And that's what it, when you when you see Graham and Barrasso and Romney and others, there it's like elections are coming now, and and the, and as the one six committee gets deeper and deeper and talks about televised uh, primetime hearings coming in in April or May, it, you can see some Republicans starting to go, man. This is a midterm we yeah. should clean up in, but this is the thing. This this confluence of forces is the thing. And if we keep talking about this and not handling it the right way, we could fuck this up. I think that's what and, you're starting to hear the rumblings of. Yeah, I, I think that's right. It, but in fair, uh, just in fairness to Romney, he did vote to impeach the president twice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 saying I'm saying I'm 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 saying Romney's doing the right thing. I'm saying Romney yeah. is Romney's ringing the alarm bell. But I don't think that his he, he's not late to the party. So no, no, no. Are, I mean, we don't know actually when Lindsey Graham isn't. You know, it, he <laughs> could be one. He could be one round of golf away from being back on the. I mean, I'll, I just David, I'll say this. I will say this though. It was Mitt Romney just a week ago who was comparing Joe Biden to Donald Trump after the voting rights thing. So it's like Mitt Romney. Pissed, yeah. Mitt Romney moves around uh, on these issues. And well, and, no, and I think he was pissed at being uh, associated with Bull Connor. I, I, yeah. I, 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 I get yes, that. Sure, I get that. But just if you're if you're the Democratic Party now. I mean, there's a lot of discussion within the the big debate within the Democratic Party about the fall is how much to put Trump in the center ring and the mortgaging of the Republican Party to Trump in the center ring. And the uh, counter, I think the problem for both parties is people are in a bad mood right now and they're in a bad mood about inflation. They're in a bad mood about 
the virus and the constant shifting of rules and and the 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 waves of the virus and you know there's just a general sense of uh, agitation and they will and every time you get into these debates the question is are you being distracted from what really actually matters like i don't sit around my table talking about what the republican national committee did i sit around my table talking about how much it cost me to fill the gas tank and that's and and they want both Democrats and Republicans to be involved in that. So can Democrats save them? I mean, the, the question is, how do you actually um, posture, you know, this? How do you position this uh, in the fall? Because they don't want Democrats talking about the past any more than Republicans uh, talking about the past. So how do you take the Trump thing and make it a threat? For the future, how do you how do you how do you say these guys are so distracted and mortgaged to Trump that they're not focused on the stuff that really matters? You have to fix the stuff that really matters to people first. I mean, number one, it's I, I think it's impossible to campaign against Trumpism while COVID is still ravaging ravaging the country. Until schools are open, masks are off, and people are back to normal, it's a moot point. I mean, I think it's incredibly important, but you're not going to break through that wall of pent up pandemic frustration. People won't have the bandwidth to listen to anything else. Yeah. One of my theories, and I may have tried it out here before, but like I, you know, I'll try it out anywhere and see what people have to say, is that the real issue is you've got Kevin McCarthy, basically his platform for the next two years is, is to exact vengeance. Uh, not just on Cheney and, and Kinzinger, but on, you know, we're going to throw Adam Schiff off his committees. We're going to throw this person off their committees. We're going to reinstate Marjorie Taylor Greene. We're going to reinstate Paul Gosar. Uh, it's all about vengeance. I mean, the, you know, you've got Republicans sort of talking impeachment of Biden. I disagree with you on that a little bit. What they're talking about nationally, you know, with a megaphone is how Democrats took your livelihood away from you. Any bit of grievance is channeled on the head of Democrats constantly. And so, you know, you can talk about trying to do Democrats campaigning against Trump, but they are on a 24-7 tirade about how Democrats have taken away your livelihood, taken away your kids' schools. I hear hear that, Amanda. What I'm saying is if you're on the Democratic side, and I hear that, yes, you've got to address these things, and and that's that's fundamental. Uh, But... uh, the, the, what people are feeling right now is a loss of control. Mm-hmm. What people are feeling right now is chaos. And the question is, does electing Kevin McCarthy, whose whole agenda is to is to wreak vengeance on people for their affronts to Trump, does that promise less chaos? Does that promise more solutions? Is that what we want? Is that what the public wants and i just don't know i mean if i were if i were a strategist and i think i've said that before here (laughs) in this campaign Mm -hmm. cycle i would be exploring that i would be exploring that like what is the cost of electing uh republicans in 2022 i just don't think you get to have that conversation until you solve COVID. okay let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor and we'll be right back I know that when you listen to Hacks on Tap, you probably say to yourself, how is Axe so sprightly, so lively, so full of energy? Well, I'm going to tell you. Helix Sleep is the answer. Helix Sleep has a quiz. 
that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. Everybody's unique, and Helix knows that, so they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattresses great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Mattresses great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. And even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. I can tell you, gang, that I got a Helix mattress, I acknowledge it, from the uh, sponsors, and I tried it out of a sense of obligation, and I love the thing. I uh, sleep better in it. It is adjusted just for my particular sleeping idiosyncrasies. It's been a real boon for me, and it's not just me. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving sleep. So just go to helixsleep.com slash hacks, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. But trust me, you will. Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never far away. And now, my friends, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash hacks. So check it out today. If we're with where we are now in the summer and fall with COVID... It, yeah, that, that's that's Tover. just let's just stipulate that if inflation is still raging, totally. it, you know, it's you know, we have to stipulate those things. But but beyond that, uh, how do you have an offensive message? Because the right. reason that governing parties lose midterm elections is because it's generally a referendum right. on the incumbent. How do you make it a choice? But Democrats have to do that to gain any trust or credibility. No, I, I hear yeah. you. I hear but they're not in charge of they're not in charge of COVID. So th- there's, yes, there's they a are. certain no, well, well, they're really I mean, not in charge of COVID. I mean, there's there's a, if a variant comes, I mean, they're in charge of a COVID right. response, but they're not in charge of COVID. And some of that's out of their control. You can do certain things to prepare, but the bottom line is they could have been better prepared for Omicron. But you know, Omicron is still going to come. Is there going to be another variant or not? That's not within the control of Joe know. Biden. Yeah. So yeah. and you can and the the only point is it's a fixed it's a fixed thing. It's like the the virus to some extent the virus itself is either going to we're either going to get to the place where it's endemic or we're not. And a lot of that is just is is virology. It's not really about politics. Some of the inflation issue is is mortgaged to that as well, of or, course, or attached to that as well. Mm-hmm. So we recognize always that it's the case that presidents get blamed for things when they're bad to a dis- disproportionate degree, and they get and they get credit for things when they're good to a disproportionate degree. So let's just that's that's baked in the cake. The reality, I think, what David, what I think you're saying is, Democrats have to if there's if the, the historical headwinds are what they are. The inflation, there's there's a limited amount the, that that Biden and the administration can do about it. COVID, there's some stuff they can do, there's stuff they can do better. But in the end, it's a little bit out of their control. What's in their control is coming up with a message, and that that message has to be premised on the notion that because if things are still bad, they're they're going to get they're going to get their clocks cleaned on those fronts, on those macro fronts. But the question is, is there a way? There's another scenario, which is 
you know, the, the scenario that the Biden people have been operating under, which is inflation will, will be under control to some extent, will be trending down. COVID will be trending down. If you get finally a good, though, those macro factors are, are headed in the right direction, then what's your message? And I think that's David, I think that's your question. And, and, and that gets you to this thing of the party grappling with the fundamental problem of, of looking at, at the midterm elections in 2018 and having done this extraordinary thing. And, and how do you run a midterm election, an anti-Trump midterm, when Donald Trump is not president and not on the ballot? And it's, it's a very tricky thing. And if you look, if you, and I know there are a lot of Democrats who say, if we don't, if we, that's the only thing that, that, that accounts for 2018. People say it was bread and butter issues. It was healthcare. It was education. It's like, no, the, 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 the electorate that turned out in 2018 was animated by the fact that Donald Trump was effectively on the ballot in 2018. How do you do that again? And, 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 and the only, precedent of someone trying was Terry McAuliffe in Virginia and look how well that worked out you know he tried to put Trump on the ballot in that race and it was and it was now you could say Terry didn't do it very well but if I were a democratic strategist David like you I'd be looking at the ways that McAuliffe failed in trying to make that race about Trump in Virginia and see and see what you can learn from it and see what like that's to me is the is the only the only scenario that's been run it didn't work for him so what would you look at there and say they did this badly they, they did this well I think there are things that they should be testing around this to to see. I would only say I'm a McAuliffe, and and Amanda lives closer to Virginia than I do. But I would only say I'm a McAuliffe um, that you know they would argue that yes he lost, but the turnout now that but the turnout among Democrats was significantly higher than normal in uh, in Virginia. So. You know, I mean, I think the other thing is McAuliffe just stepped in it in a big way by, you know, with this whole parents should stay out of education. I mean, I think there's a whole attack line for Democrats about whether, you know, everyone should agree that parents should be involved in their children's education and their voices should be uh, should matter. The question is, do you want politicians yep. involved in your child's education? And I think there's actual, there's power in that argument, but, but that, that's not the main point. The main point is, I don't know that Virginia solved this, this question. I don't think you should either say yes or no. And, and I'm not sure they, uh, they got, you know, there's a different element here because, you know, Yunkin was seen as sort of not uh, Trump. not Trump. He was very focused on local issues. Um, it's very hard for some of these candidates, Republican candidates who have, uh, you know, uh, uh, prostrated them. Prost- is it prostrate or pro- anyway? Embarrassed. Uh, they have, uh, <laughs> they have conceded to Trump their souls in a way, and they're promising to be the instrument of his vengeance come 2023 instead of focusing on the problems of the country right. how do you make I that think that's a, a right well i mean i am just I, it's a theory yes, it's yeah, not an, a yeah. recommendation yeah yeah i mean the thing with mcauliffe is that he tried to make the race about trump and he ignored the things that were staring uh virginians in the face every single day and that was covid 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 as it related to schools and the economy i mean this is kind of what we keep getting at here and i think I just want to say i think you guys are really mistaken that the democrats will be able to pivot their way out of this if this somehow heals this summer or fall. I, I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of voters willing to forget what happened the past two years. I mean, you keep seeing, I, can we just say, 
Democrat, you better stop with these stupid massless photos in front of mass crowds. I mean, those things leave a memory of the hypocrisy and the idea that teachers unions just want to keep schools closed. They don't have to work. I mean, all this is simmering out there in the culture. And that's just not going to flip off with the switch if COVID magically disappears. But what's the answer then? Just, you, I have an answer. What you seems like you just said was, if COVID and the economy are bad, Democrats are fucked. If COVID and the economy yeah. are good, Democrats still can't pivot. They're still fucked because people have memories of what happened, right? Uh, it's a matter of degrees of how, how much they're screwed. And, and I keep making the argument to you guys. But degree, degrees matter, Amanda. De yeah. Like de Degrees could be the difference between Absolutely. whether Democrats hang on to the Senate or not yeah. hang on to the Senate. Which is why I think Democrats need to get out of this posture of saying, we'll just see what happens and to be aggressively for getting the economy back to normal. You want to give Kamala Harris something to do? Joe Biden doesn't like to leave the White House or his beach house in Rehoboth. Have her go around America on an open up tour. Go find the colleges that are doing it right and have her go dance and sing with the marching band. Go to Connecticut, where I think the vaccination rate is high, and say, you know what? This is how we get schools back open. And go take the photos of everybody with their mask off. Lean into that instead of doing this, oh, we better be super careful. Yes, we have to be careful. But after kids five and under can get vaccinated, who are we protecting? What excuse is there for these lockdowns after that? Tell me. And if you have to have the lockdowns, be very clear about what the metrics are for getting things back open. Hey, guess what? If you have a vaccination rate of 90% or whatever, community spread is low, everyone gets it off. Someone needs to get the pathway forward. And if the Democrats aren't aggressively advocating for that, I think they're screwed. And it's only the matter of degrees, whether you lose the House and the Senate or just the House. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. We talk about BetterHelp a lot on this show, and this month we're discussing some of the stigmas around mental health. For example, some people think you should wait until things are unbearable to go to therapy, but that's not true. Therapy is a tool to utilize before things get worse, and it can help you avoid those lows. I've talked a lot about mental health on this podcast, and I so urge people to reach out and get the help they need when they need it. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Hacks on Tap listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash hacks. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash hacks. I don't exactly know what what is locked down right now, but um, my my kids are still eating school outside every day. I mean, it's not a lockdown, but it sure is hacking back to normal. They haven't gone on a field trip. I'm pretty angry about it. I understand why it's necessary, but I want it to stop. No, no, I understand. I think you're articulating a view that uh, a feeling that a lot of parents around the country yeah. have. I mean, I will say my uh, my grandson has he's four years old he hasn't been vaccinated yet his birthday is in next month and so he will be vaccinated he's cute as a button too that he is cute, cute yes button, yeah. but uh he hasn't 
been going to preschool because there is no mask requirement at his school and his parents are, I think, justifiably worried what happens. In fact, his sister's seven years old. She went back to school because she is vaccinated. She does wear a mask. Uh, most of her class does not. Um, and But she was worried about uh, giving her brother, you know, passing it along to her brother. And she had to be kind of calmed down on that. Um, so, you know, th- this is complicated. I, I completely get what you're saying, Amanda. I completely get what you're saying. Um, but it's, it's, it's really, really uh, complicated. Interesting uh, idea about the VP, but they would have to make a pivot. And maybe after Omicron, they can make the pivot. I do think one of the reasons they postponed the State of the Union until March 1st was their hope that Omicron will be uh, largely in the rearview mirror by the time uh, that he speaks. Uh, although, you know, I've been noodling this idea about that. And I think they have to be careful because I, Omicron may be in the rearview mirror, but as Amanda says, there will be all these residual feelings and concerns. Yeah. I, don't think the, I don't think if you stand up and say the State of the Union is strong that uh, it's going to be well, well received because the State of the Union is stressed. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, that and you really have to address that and what you're going to uh, what you're going to do about it. Hey, speaking of Democrats, uh, <laughs> sometime this month, uh, president's going to appoint a Supreme Court nominee. It's very likely going to be someone who is uh, highly qualified uh, with, uh, you know, a very deep background, uh, similar to those of the other people who've been appointed to the Supreme Court. Um, uh, and it will be an African-American woman. We know that. Uh, Amanda, should Republicans uh, mount a huge battle over this court nominee? We heard, by the way, um, Manchin over the weekend pretty much say, I'm, I'm, you know, everyone they're talking about I could vote for. And uh, Lisa Murkowski hinted that she would be uh, supportive of the nominee. So the nominee is going to get nominated. Uh, should the Republicans wage a big fight over this nomination? Only if there's something really to fight about. I mean, if something comes out in the vetting or there's a stray remark, you know, of course that would be politically advantageous. But given that the Democrats have the votes, given that Republicans have a lot of good issues to run on right now, um, I, I, I don't see it. But that doesn't mean if the opportunity arises, they should not pivot and jump on it, just politically speaking. But for Biden, from Biden's standpoint, I, I don't think he should accommodate Republican requests for meetings and all that, really at all. I mean, Amy Coney Barrett got a fast uh, confirmation. Do, do that track. I, I don't even know why they're taking a month to announce the appointment. I mean, certainly you have a list. You know who it is. Say, this is the best person and just get on with it. I don't know why this wouldn't have been done in the last year, but your point is the right one, which is don't give anybody anything to shoot at. So make sure you've vetted the hell out of this nominee. Have conversations. Make sure that they can hold up to the scrutiny that they're going to get. And some, you know, there'll be people who will be antagonistic. You know, the Josh Hollies of the world, perhaps your old boss, uh, Ted Cruz. They'll, they're people who will be antagonistic. You want to know how that nominee is going to uh, react to uh, that and handle that. So there's a lot to, you know, I was involved in a couple of these. Uh, and, um, you know, I remember the president asking me to go over to talk to Sonia Sotomayor. And I said um, to him, uh, well, I'm happy to do that, but 
you know, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know anything about this. Uh, and uh, he said, don't worry, I am. <laughs> he said, I can handle that part. He said, I want to know how you feel she'll hold up to the, to the barrage. And, uh, and I went over and had a conversation with her on that regard. And, you know, she, she impressed me. Uh, but, um, but I'm sure that they're having those kinds of conversations. That's why, but there's no doubt that once they have a nominee, they're going to, uh, Coney Barrett it. They're not going to wait around. And it's going to be really tough for Republicans to complain about that. I think that Amanda's right. I think Amanda's right that they shouldn't. And I think they actually won't. I mean, other than, than those, to go back to our earlier conversation, there's a handful of Republicans who want to run for president who want to get in the Trump lane. Those, and they're, and they're all to one degree or another white grievance candidates. And so they're, they're going to say some of the things that we've heard from them said that they've said already that are kind of offensive or more than kind of offensive, highly offensive. Some people will try to, poli- they're, they're, it will work for their politics, right? Well, what, will it work for Josh Hawley's politics? It works for his politics. So he will, he will do this. But I think a lot of Republicans are going to look at this and be like, this doesn't change the, cal- the, the, the composition of the court. It's a, just a bad yeah. look for us here. There, we're, we can't really stand up and say with any credibility, again, assuming the person is, is as highly qualified as basically everyone on the list is. There's no one who's been floated right now who's not highly, who's not qualified enough to be on the court. That's been in any public list that i've seen so you're going to stand up and try to attack the first uh, history making first uh black woman supreme court justice on the basis just purely of racial animus there's a few republicans for whom that works not for that many and i will say david to your point about about you and sonia sotomayor as 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 brilliant a supreme court sherpa as you were i even i, I think you would acknowledge i don't think there's ever been anybody in the white house at a high level who has more experience with Supreme Court nominations than Ron Klain? Without a doubt, truly the most the most experienced White House chief of staff by far, and probably the most experienced senior White House advisor in terms of seeing, um, in terms of being 100%. intimately involved in Supreme Court nominations. Ron has been doing it for decades, and I think you know that the one thing they put a lot of thought in is is this, and I think it's pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way that Republicans are going to play this, though, is they're going to make it a critique of Biden. Like, okay, Biden, you know, these are not. My thoughts, but this is how it's going to, to play. Left, yeah, yeah right, to the left, uh, had to do the affirmative action uh, Supreme Court pick because James Clyburn told him no, and he is a, a tool for the progressive left, right? Like, this is how it's going to come out. Well, that it has already come out that way. I think that's going to be harder. I mean, I personally would have preferred if if he hadn't had to, to do that in the to do that. And, yes. and, and, I, and I've said last week, like, I, if I, I would ask, Clyburn respectfully to shut the hell up yes. because he keeps going around Dear God. bragging Dear about God. the fact that he dragged Biden into making oh uh, the promise. I agree with all that, but if they appoint a nominee who is stellar in testimony and has sterling credentials, it's harder to make, you know, this- it's easier to make the claim about affirmative action candidates in the abstract. Until once, once you have a name and a candidate and the candidate went to Harvard Law School and clerked on this court and worked on that court and served on this bench, and you, the, the, the affirmative action thing is an easy argument for Republicans to make. And score right. sheet points when there's no nominee. It's like, well, he's just appointing a black woman. But that, but that is a narrative that's setting in because he's taking so long to name her. I, right. Well, what is taking so long? You knew you're going to have to have a binderful black woman yeah. since the Democratic primary. So 
what is what is there to vet? How many interviews do you have to do? Name it because this narrative is already set in and it's not going to matter what she says and it does a disservice to that nominee. It does do a disservice to the nominee. I'm pretty I, I feel like this is going to happen, you know, relatively relatively quickly not, not with any inside information. I think Amanda just channeled Mitt Romney there. Was, didn't she really just say a binder full of black women? Did you say, yeah, hey, listen, that. sometimes you got to have she's some a, binders. She's a soundbite machine. I didn't know she had that Mitt Romney gene in her there. She yeah. does. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I'm in favor of binders full of women. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, right. put, me, put me up for some jobs. Yes, that confirmation <laughs> would go very well, I'm sure. Yeah, right. oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. If you're like me, you love to look at pictures of family and friends, and nothing keeps you connected like Aura. Their smart digital picture frames make it easy to share photos and videos with your favorite people from anywhere in the world using the Aura app, so you can feel closer and celebrate more of the day-to-day moments that really matter. Every frame comes beautifully packaged and ready to gift. You can even personalize it with a special note and cherish memories for a heartwarming surprise when your recipient sets it up, which takes just about two minutes. And unlike other digital frames, Aura has unlimited storage with no subscriptions or additional fees. And that's why Aura is one of the most popular gifts for birthdays, Mother's Day, anniversaries, holidays, and anyone in the family. Frames completely sold out during the holidays and last Valentine's Day. So get yours at an amazing discount while it lasts. Hurry up. And again, it's easy to set up preload photos and invite loved ones to contribute too. Once your recipient sets up their frame, they'll be touched to see cherished memories and their favorite faces. So it's a whole online reunion. And it's important to know you have complete control over who has access to your frame. You can securely share photos with the Aura app. It's more secure than email, which is what many other digital frames require. Aura's first sale of the year is happening right now. So visit AuraFrames.com for a thoughtful gift that shows just how much you love them. That's Aura, A-U-R-A, frames.com. And our listeners can use code HACKS to get up to $20 off the list price while supplies last. Now through February 22nd, so hurry up. Terms and conditions apply. One last thing on the Supreme Court, Amanda. The court's going to rule on the abortion cases this spring. Very likely, uh, they're going to, in in all or part, uh, reverse Roe versus Wade. And that is going to mean that uh, states are going to have a lot more authority uh, as to whether women uh, can get an abortion in the state or not. Uh, Wisconsin has a... Uh, has a governor's race. Uh, Pennsylvania has a governor's race. Michigan has a governor's race. Uh, there are a lot of states that have governor's races in 2022. Um, does this activate? Uh, I know you're 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 from a different camp, but do you think this activates uh, uh, voters? Well, I guess I should ask voters on either side, uh, knowing that the governor may have much more authority over this issue than at any time in the last 50 years. I understand the conventional wisdom is that when the court overturns Roe v. Wade or guts it, then Democratic women are going to be so activated and Republicans are doomed, right? I, I, I do not believe that. I, I don't believe that. That is a straw man you're setting up, but go ahead. <laughs> 
the idea is that this somehow is can't be an issue for Republicans to talk about because, but here's how I see it. Something happens to Roe v. Wade, and that opens up a 50-state debate over abortion. Any time I've heard a Democrat talk about abortion, they have been unable to voice any kind of limits they would like on, on that procedure. And so if you're a Republican running, you just say, look at these Democrats. They are still for abortion on demand, anywhere, anytime, taxpayer funded. And suddenly you just talk about reasonable limits, maybe at 15 weeks, you know, uh, parental consent for minors, and you're on practical, reasonable ground. And so I think I, I'm happy to have this discussion. I think there's been way too much misinformation about abortion on both sides. Uh, we are ready for a discussion about rational, reasonable limits and what it means and who should be responsible, because I would love to put men on the hook for some of these unwanted pregnancies. Um, we can talk about spreading the consequences for uh, what happens and why abortions are necessary many times. And so I, I, I welcome it. I, I think it's going to be fun. The question I had is just, do you think it will have an effect in the fall? Whatever the effect is, do you think it will, in states, particularly where there are governor's races, will it be a factor in those campaigns? Because, you know, we're hacks, okay? We're not mm -hmm. philosophers here. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm just, I'm just telling you how Republicans can position this into a winning issue. Well, I think, that, David, your question, do I think, I think that it will be in certain places. And I think, like, there's no question it's going to be a, 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 an issue with the Texas governor's race, right? That's going to be an issue where, and how that will play out, I don't know the answer. Is it, going to be, is it going to be actively debated in the Texas governor's race? I think it certainly will be. And I imagine in some of these other places, like the Florida governor's race, it will be actively litigated. And I think, you know, I think, man, I think the, 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 it's TBD to what effect. But there's certainly going to be a mobilization and there's going to be money and there's going to be other things around this if the court yeah. does effectively or full on repeal row. And I'll say one other thing just to add to this stew without going too far down the down the down the track on it. You know, we also got these affirmative action cases now to go back to the topic we were talking about in a different context. Supreme Court's now looking at those affirmative action cases, the University of North Carolina and Harvard. They're going to look at those cases and they're going to hear them in the spring. They're probably going to decide them in the fall. And I raise it only because both these issues are they're different, clearly. Mm -hmm. But they are culture war issues that both sides are gonna are gonna are gonna weaponize in a significant way, and you could have two very large rulings that that mm -hmm. that, that 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 undo what have been largely settled law or settled policy for a long time. Does that mean it's going to work to Democrats' favor? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like when you take away a right that's been enshrined, if if a pro is overturned, if you take away a right that's been enshrined in settled law since 1972, tens of millions of women have like assumed that they could basically get an abortion, not abortion on demand, not abortion without limits, but that abortion was a right for that long. And that race-based affirmative action has a, has a fact of life in American colleges for, for, for basically the same length of time. If those things go away... And the court rules against both of them in the in an election year, in a midterm election year, and those and those affirmative action cases have state universities all over the country. Every governor's race is going to be have a debate about this because those are all going to be up for grabs, and those are very highly charged mm -hmm. culture war issues that we know what that looks like. And I, I don't know again, don't know who it plays the advantage of. Probably not. Probably it's not an even distribution. Some places to Democrats favor some to Republicans, but it's going to make the campaign very. It could really electrify the campaign in terms of base enthusiasm around issues like that. They'll be front and center by the time we get to next November. And maybe, in, and maybe particularly in areas where Democrats have done well, yes. suburban areas uh, with with women uh, who and 
you know, there is a concern now about what those turnout, what that turnout's going to be like, because there is irritation about issues like school openings and masks yes. and stuff there that has helped, you know, that is that is hurting uh, Democrats right now. And oh. I should say, just so I don't get a whole lot of email uh, because of you, Amanda, uh -huh. that if if, gov if governors if governors uh, say we're going to enshrine uh, the principles of Roe in state law, that's not. We're for abortion at demand, no limits, and all taxpayer funded. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see just, how it gets framed. Okay. Well, I know how it'll get framed. You just <laughs> gave us a pretty good sense of it, and I think you're and yes. I think you're right. We have this thing on this program that you're both familiar with, and we have to do it. Oh, the mailbag! The public demands it. Let's hear it, Jeff. It's listener mailbag. There we go. Whenever I hear cheesy air sats, like horrible music, I just think Mike Murphy. Where is Mike? He's like, <laughs> I like Mike, it. Mike gets a little tingle right now. Wherever he is AWOL <laughs> right now, knocking over that bank, there was like a little, he got a little tingle when he heard that. His ears were burning. Well, he also gets, I think, 10 cents every time we yes. play it. Well, so that's, why that's, he gets the, other... that's why he gets the tingle. It's a tingle and a jingle for it's him. It's a ka-chingle. Yes, exactly. Well, I should say this. Mike isn't here. He'd be really mad if I didn't say, if you have... Questions you want to ask the hacks, send it to hacksontap at gmail.com. And uh, let me ask uh, Allison Siegel, our producer, Did I is that the right address? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you got to leave this in. You guys leave that in. Don't take that out of the podcast. <laughs> we will. We'll leave it in. Anybody who's listened to this podcast regularly will not be surprised that I didn't know the email address. Yeah, you're correct. So yes. anyway, Amanda, we talked about Pence and uh, his uh, contratemps with Trump. Kevin wants to know, now that Pence has jumped off the Trump train, I think he was kind of pushed to, if Trump does get the nomination in 2024, who do you think he's likely to pick as his running mate? And from a purely political standpoint, who would be the smart pick? Ron DeSantis is the hair in waiting to Trumpism. I mean, he, he is the one that everyone wants to see elevated to higher office. Short of that, if he wants to go for a woman, you know, he, he used to think Christy Nome was sort of kicking around, but she's got on the bad side. A MAGA on a few things uh, has been a little too thirsty, um, but she is still kicking around as a favorite. Is DeSantis a hair in waiting or an air in waiting? Because yeah. his hair is great too. He's got that <laughs> anchor man hair. I'm very jealous of that. You know what the resistance moms would say to this? They'd say uh, that he'll pick whoever the warden is at the prison where he's going to be locked up. That's what the resistance <laughs> moms would say. Yeah. Uh, that'll be his news running mate. Does he feel like he needs to double down on him? Or does he feel, you know, he chose Pence because he needed some sort of bridge to the evangelicals, yeah. which who now are deeply supportive of him. So I, I don't know. I think he picks up. I think he picks like Joe Rogan or something. He needs a he needs a he needs a bridge to the that, given the way that anti-vaxxers booed him that day, which is still I think though I still think at some point when the history of all this is written, the moment when the anti-vaxxers booed Trump when he admitted that he'd taken the vaccine and got the booster is still going to be a signal moment in the evolution of the Republican Party when the when Trump looked up and realized the Republican base is now to the right of him. And if I'm Trump, I'm like Joe Rogan, Aaron Rodgers. Oh my gosh, that is a joke, Kyle. Man, come on. I, I guess please it is tell, a joke. Please say you're joking. I, I'm joking. I'm joking, but I think I, I think you know that the Rogan. I, I say either Rogan, Rogers, or Djokovic. Like, pick your prominent anti-vaxxer and put him on the ticket. We can safely say that Rogan is not a hair apparent. Okay, all right. So Heilman, yeah. Chris, 
asks, as the January 6th committee continues to uncover increasingly scandalous and nefarious stories about the schemes to overthrow a presidential election by Mr. Trump and his crew, are the Democrats missing a political opportunity to better label the GOP as complicit, weak, and faint-hearted, or is it better for them to keep their powder dry until the committee begins its public hearings? I would, I would first advise Chris, uh, in the immortal words of Strunk and White, to omit needless words. Scandalous, nefarious, uh, complicit, weak, and faint-hearted. That's a lot of adjectives. A lot of, a lot of adjectives from anxious anchors placed in powerful posts. So here's, I think, I look, I, if I, I'm not, you know, a political strategist and I don't even play one on TV, but I do think that there's going to be a moment and the moment of, where first of all we don't know what they've found. The, the, there's there's we're absent an important piece of information is that there's a lot of things the committee knows that we don't know, so we don't know how politically potent what they are going to put out is going to be just purely as politics, right? But but having said that, my sense of the committee is that they are, and that that Liz Cheney is, is is in charge of that committee as much as anybody on the committee is. It's not she's not like Republican window dressing. She's driving the train. Is that they think there's going to come a moment, and the moment is going to be the uh, a moment where they're going to be able to tell this story, tell the public what they've learned to the extent that they can. It's going to come this spring. They're thinking about novel strategies for doing that. How do you tell the story across platforms, digital, on potential primetime hearings? Like how do you break out of just oh it's another hearing on C-SPAN? And, and try to give this story the prominence and political salience that it, it merits. And I think that, that, that if that, if you are, if you're building a strategy like that, you think you're going to have one shot at this. I, I, I guess I would say, and I, you know, like I said, I'm not a political advisor, but I guess I would say it makes sense to take the big swing and, and do it. You're not going to get, this is such a complicated media environment to navigate. We all know it's really hard to get a message through. It's really hard to move people. A lot of people have already decided what they think about January 6th. If you're going to really, if this thing's going to really have move votes and really change minds, change minds, right? Uh, I think the, that you that this is best to have a, a rifle shot kind of approach, like like figure out, take your put all your wood behind one arrowhead, just switch metaphors and and do it but all. But the question it. was, should they should they pile on now or or wait? I mean, I think Democrats are already doing this to some extent, but I, I, I my argument is, I think that they're that the the, the, the the to get the maximum political benefit out of this will be when they can make the maximum political case, whatever yeah, that is. I agree. Listen, I think I think that the the whole Republican strategy of uh, rejecting a nine a, a one six commission, a nine eleven style commission, was they wanted to portray this as a political partisan exercise. exercise. So don't so don't make it easy for them. Right. Let the committee do its work. Although I will say, as little pieces of information emerge. It is like a game of Wordle, and and the words we have enough letters now to know the words is Trump. Yes, uh, I mean, and I think that's going to be clearer. All right, the next question from Steve: Which side will gerrymander the most in this cycle for you, David? Yeah, well, I mean, I think this whole process of redistricting has been really interesting because it hasn't gone exactly the way people expected. There was this sense that Republicans, because they have a total control of many more states than Democrats would end up with a huge advantage out of the redistricting uh, process. We don't know. I think uh, there's still a, a, you know, a number of states to go. Several states are tied up in the courts, but it hasn't really worked that way because Democrats have been as aggressive about gerrymandering uh, as Republicans in states that they control, Illinois, uh, New York. Uh, they're going to be, you know, uh, probably five pickups between for Democrats between those states. And the commissions have 
uh, developed maps in several states that have made these uh, states more competitive to the advantage uh, of Democrats because they had been badly gerrymandered uh, earlier. Uh, so I, I think that um, we don't know where it's all going to end up. And the Supreme Court, uh, in I think a wrong decision yesterday, rejected a three three judge panel's decision that the Alabama map violated the Voting Rights Act. That three judge panel with two Trump judges on it. And the reason the Supreme Court rejected their decision was because they said the primary is in May and there won't be enough time for people to adjust uh, to a new map, which is not really, to me, uh, very compelling. I think Judge Justice Kagan blew the whistle on that. But all in all, I don't think gerrymandering is going to be the uh, windfall for Republicans that people thought. And I think that it may end up that Democrats, you know, uh, do far better in this process uh, than uh, than anyone imagined uh, even six months ago. So anyway, really, really fun to be with you guys. It's always fun to have you here. You know, screw Murphy and Gibbs. Who needs him? Yeah. Yeah. Stay gone, Murph. I'm oh, just kidding. I personally, you know, um, like to have only a, the occasional appearance on this program, but I would like to see Amanda Carpenter uh, replace one Isn't of those. Isn't she good? Oh, good. Yeah. See, you don't need a binder full of women. You just need me. I only wish that she would be a little less reserved, yes. that she'd be willing to express herself, yeah. she doesn't have she any opinions. share her true opinions. Yeah. I do and... always get Liz Cheney's first name correct. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's good. Not yeah. Mary. Yes, we've had a problem with that <laughs> here with one of our hacks. But anyway. Great to see you guys. To everybody else, we'll see you next week. And uh, there'll be plenty more to talk about. We know that. Keep on hacking. Yes, sir. Later. Later.